Well, good evening. So, uh, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 this evening. Um, I was telling Daryl and uh, a couple of the others that I was really wishing that this shirt, Not Today Satan, uh, would have come in before last week's sermon um, so that I could have worn this while I was preaching last week's sermon. But alas, that did not happen. Um, So, some of you guys know that uh, during this week, um, we were traveling uh, down to South Carolina. We spent the, the week at uh, my mom's house in South Carolina. And I want to start out tonight by um, giving us another thing to celebrate as a church. And that is that while we were en route to South Carolina, we were having a really good conversation about the gospel and understanding the gospel and our sin and uh, and, and the truth of Jesus Christ and um, my daughter, Marisol, was uh, in the back seat, and we were talking to her uh, about all this, and I was asking her to explain to me everything that she could, um, and, uh, and so on the way to South Carolina, my daughter said to me, Dad, I'm ready. I, I, want, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I understand. And so she prayed herself first without us, you know, giving her the words to say. She prayed and, and said, Jesus, thank you for... Uh, forgiving me of my sins, and, and I want to love you forever. And uh, we led her uh, through a little bit more, and then Eli said, hey, can I pray? And I said, yeah, go ahead, Eli. And, and Eli said, dear Lord, thank you for what Marisol just did, and I pray that you would help her to learn how to read so that she can read your word and understand more about you. And I was like, oh man, what a great prayer. So tonight, we celebrate the new salvation of Marisol Velilla. Uh, so we were traveling to South Carolina um, to celebrate on Friday the 10-year anniversary of my dad's passing. And the wording of that might seem strange, celebrate the passing. But our intention for this trip down there was not to uh, gather together and be sad. Over the years, in the 10 years, it's hard to believe, in the 10 years, since we have cried a lot of tears, we have experienced a wide range of emotion, and we've had our really sad get-togethers. This time around, as I, as I was talking to my mom about what she wanted, she said, why don't we gather together to celebrate new life? Why don't we gather together to talk about the ways that God has grown us in the last 10 years? Why don't we gather together to talk about the good things that God has done? Why don't we talk about how much he's grown us? The lessons that we've learned, the ways that we've changed, the ways that God has filled the gap like no one ever could. And so we had an awesome week together. Uh, We did a lot of fun things, going to the zoo and going strawberry picking with my grandma and, and all this different stuff. And and then Friday evening, we gathered a bunch of the family and friends together and, uh, and celebrated my dad's life. And there was a moment where uh, some of us lost it, and that was when we lit up some paper lanterns and, and, and sent those off into the atmosphere. And, uh, and my mom, when I looked over at her and, and she was crying, I lost it. <laughs> she was like, we're, we're lighting these lanterns and saying a prayer um, and, and missing missing Jeepa. And so we did have some tears, um, but it was an awesome week and an awesome uh, 
time of celebrating and hearing from my mother, who is one of the wisest women who's ever walked the face of of the earth, hearing from my mother the ways that God has grown her, the ways that God has changed her, the ways that God has has always been there for her, that she's never walked alone. Um, We have been talking in this series, Replant, over the last couple of weeks, about how God grows us slowly. The way that he produces fruit in us is a long, often tedious process, where the changes in us, the growth in us, is often imperceptible in the moment. Because it's going so slowly. And and as we've talked about slow growth, tedious growth, a a long process, and and how how that can take our entire lives, I want to follow that up today with some encouragement. Because, after all, this journey that we are on is wearisome. It's exhausting. It's It's tiring. Perhaps, like my family, you have suffered loss. Loss of loved ones, friends. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're stressed. This, this pandemic year that hopefully we're, we're finally getting to be on the other side of has drained all of us. Over the last year, Allison and I have, uh, f- have been facing some very draining and difficult personal issues. Um, that have stretched us further than anything we've ever experienced. Maybe, maybe you're looking at a personal struggle, and you've been fighting it so long, and, and you still haven't won. Maybe it's a sin struggle. Maybe there's something that you've been trying to accomplish or, or, or trying to achieve. Maybe you've been looking just at your spiritual growth, and you're frustrated, and you're asking, oh my gosh, am I ever going to get there? And my encouragement to you this evening is don't give up. So to begin this evening, I want us to listen to the greatest Disney song ever written. The greatest Disney song ever written. Okay, now there have been a lot of great Disney songs over the many years and many movies that have been made. There have also been some downright terrible songs. Uh, what makes the red man red, anyone? Uh, that one got scrubbed, thankfully. Or how about the, uh, the Magic Within You, sung by Elena of Avalor? Boo, hate that one. On the other side, there are some really, really great songs. Like The Bare Necessities in Jungle Book. Or You've Got a Friend in Me in Toy Story. Or Remember Me from the movie Coco. Pretty much every song from Aladdin and pretty much every song in Lion King, right? Tale as old as time from Beauty and the Beast. And there's so many good Disney songs. But every single Disney song pales in comparison to the greatest lyrical masterpiece ever put on screen by the mouse. And that song is The Next Right Thing. Sung by Princess Anna in Frozen 2. Now guys, I'm not being hyperbolic here, okay? I'm not joking around. I'm dead serious. This is literally the greatest Disney song ever written. It is deep, it is rich, it is raw and, and emotional, and dare I say, 
incredibly biblical. Uh, raise your hand if you have not seen Frozen 2. Okay, if you haven't seen Frozen 2, all right, a few of you. Uh, spoilers ahead here. I will try not to ruin the movie if you haven't seen it, because if you haven't, you need to, okay? Watch Frozen 2. The gist of this is that Princess Anna and Elsa are peacefully reigning over the kingdom of Arendelle. Elsa is being drawn out of the castle by a mysterious voice, and this voice draws her into an enchanted forest, into the unknown, if you will. What she discovers there causes the past and the present to collide and and puts everyone in danger. Okay, spoiler. As always, the movie does have a happy ending. And by the way, Anna rules. Uh, In the middle of the movie, however, things are as bad as they can possibly seem. Now, I won't tell you what actually happens and whether or not this is actually true, as is revealed later on, But in this particular part of the movie, Princess Anna believes that Olaf and Elsa are gone forever. Kristoff is also completely out of reach. And Anna doesn't know if she's ever going to see him again either. And so this song is sung by Princess Anna at her lowest point of her life. It is sung alone in a dark cave where her torch has gone out, literally and figuratively. Now, earlier on in the movie, she sang a song called Some Things Never Change. And in that song, she expressed her contentment in the unchanging friendships and relationships around her. Things in life change, she sings, but her relationships with Olaf and Kristoff and Elsa are always there. But now, suddenly... They're not. So, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to play this song for you on the screen. However, those of you who are watching at home, you guys need to understand that uh, you're going to have to take an extra step here. Due to licensure and the rules of Facebook Live, we cannot stream live while we're playing music that does not belong to us. So, what's going to happen is we're going to play this song here and... I'm going to mute the live stream uh, from my microphone. So I want to give you a moment now, if you're watching at home or if you're listening on the podcast, grab another device, pull up YouTube, type in the next right thing, Frozen 2, and cue it up. Okay? You can play that at home while we are watching the live stream here, and it won't be so weird for you that our live stream is muted for the next few moments. So go ahead and find... Uh, the next right thing, Frozen 2, on YouTube or iTunes or whatever. Um, and then if you're on the podcast, I guess, listening later, you can just uh, skip ahead after you've listened to the song. Okay? So we're going to play this song here. And as we do, um, I want you guys to pay attention to the lyrics. And as you're listening, especially, I want, I want you to, to see if you can pick up on some of the biblical themes as Anna is singing this raw, emotional, hashtag relatable song. Okay? So Allison, why don't you go ahead and play uh, this song for us?
just in case there was anyone at home who was not able to listen to the song. Uh, Let me quickly read through these lyrics. I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold, this is empty, this is numb. The life I knew is over, the lights are out. Hello darkness, I'm ready to succumb. I follow you around, I always have. But you've gone to a place I cannot find. This grief has a gravity, it pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind. You are lost, hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. Can there be a day beyond this night? I don't know anymore what is true. I can't find my direction. I'm all alone. The only star that guided me was you. How to rise from the floor when it's not you I'm rising for. Just do the next right thing. Take a step, step again. It's all that I can do to do the next right thing. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step, this next choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly toward the light, and do the next right thing. And with it done, what comes then? When it's clear that everything will never be the same again, then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. Entertainment Weekly, in their assessment of this song, points out that Princess Anna is, according to the directors, an archetype of fairy tale. That means that her character has been purposefully crafted as one that follows the typical North Stars of fairy tales. Love, harmony, and happy endings. Enduring positivity. Happy-go-luckiness. And none of those things are bad, necessarily, but when you take a character like that and you put them in a dark place where those things have been ripped away, the question is, what is she going to do? And as it turns out, what she's going to do is the next right thing. She can no longer depend on others to be her motivation for continuing forward in the ways that she always has. There is something objective that must drive her. Something that never will change. Unlike what she's saying about before. And that is the right thing. So what is so unique about this song that differentiates it from every other Disney song ever written is that it doesn't say, look within yourself and do whatever your heart tells you. No, this time, Anna says, there is a tiny voice that whispers to her. Huh? Did I not say Anna? Oh, sorry. Anna. Allison is correcting me. Anna says there's a tiny voice that whispers to her, and and it, it tells her this, that you feel as though you are lost and that there is no hope, but you must go on and do the next right thing. That sounds eerily similar to what the Holy Spirit sounds like. That at the deepest points of our lives, in the darkest moments, he whispers to us, acknowledging our pain and yet prompting us forward to continue in what is right. 
Finally, finally for once, Disney does not tell us to follow our feelings. Princess Anna tells us in haunting honesty what her feelings are telling her. Her feelings are dragging her down. They're they're not helping her. She talks about how her, her grief has a gravity that pulls her downward. So she can't follow her feelings. Her, her feelings are just going to drag her deeper and deeper into despair. She can't listen to them. She can't let them drive. So what can she do? The last line of the song puts it perfectly. Again, dare I say, biblically, where she says, then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. Anna sets her eyes forward and declares that she will not follow her heart. She can't ignore the reality of her feelings or the reality of the searing pain and the loss that she has experienced. She's going to be very honest about that hurt. And she sings this truth saying that she knows it's clear that everything will never be the same again. She doesn't have any false notions about the future. But that will not stop her. Her will, her will is going to drive her, not her feelings. She is going to choose to focus on the still, small voice, on the still, small whisper of truth urging her forward in righteousness. Princess Anna shows us what it looks like to have feelings, but not to let your feelings have you. And that song sounds an awful lot like Hebrews chapter 12. So, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. Uh, Just for future reference, um, there is not universal agreement on the author of the book of Hebrews. Uh, I have always been one to say, I believe it's the Apostle Paul, so uh, you may disagree with that, and that's okay. For the rest of the sermon, you will hear me refer to the author of this as Paul. Uh, Send me an email if you want to argue about it. So, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought after it with tears. So, let's jump right in. Taking notes here is point number one. A wearisome journey must be taken one step at a time. Again, let me remind us that over the last couple of weeks, we've been laying out what it looks like for God to grow us slowly. And I will add to that this evening that many times God also grows us painfully. Not only does fruitfulness take a long time, there are often periods of deep, searing, emotional, and sometimes physical pain that accompany these processes of growth. And in the middle of that, it is very difficult to see what type of purpose there could be or feel any kind of steadiness in the middle of it. As we go through it, we become increasingly weary. And, and again, this may look different for every one of us right now. Maybe you are somebody dealing with a painful loss. Perhaps you're dealing with the fallout of betrayal, difficult family relationships. Maybe you're fighting a long and painful battle with sin or the effects of sin. And the healing process is maddeningly slow. Maybe you're just tired stressed, confused. Maybe you're all of the above. And maybe you're asking if it's worth it to continue. And I want you to know that you are not alone. God sees you in the middle of the struggle and he asks you to be honest with him and to be honest with others about it. And I promise you, he will see you through to the other side. So let's look together once more at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. In the greatest Disney song ever written, I love the way that Princess Anna expresses her knowledge that she can only take one step at a time. 
She acknowledges that she would be overwhelmed with anything more than the very next decision. She knows that if she were to be given the full picture, it would be too much for her to handle. She cannot take all of the picture. She cannot bear it. She can't wrap her mind or her heart around that. And so she sings, I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step, this next choice is one that I can make. This is what the Apostle Paul is expressing when he exhorts us to run with endurance, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. We must run with endurance and perseverance. The word for run in the Greek is in the present imperative tense, which means it can be translated as let us keep running. It is not a one-time thing that's finished. It's a continual thing. It's a let's keep doing this. You guys want another Disney reference? Okay. Here's another good example of the present imperative. A good example of the present imperative is Dory. Dory, when she sings, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, that is the present imperative. It's ongoing. It's right now. Keep swimming. Keep swimming. Keep going. You're not finished swimming. If you stop swimming, you sink. So keep swimming. Just keep swimming. It is right here, right now, ongoing, continuing without quitting. So here... In this verse, this is Paul speaking with encouragement in the present imperative, offering a helping hand, saying, come on, let's, let's keep going. Come on, let's keep running. Don't give up. Keep swimming. Come on, let's go. Let's run. Come on, let's, let's, let's keep running. Let's keep running. And he sees us on the ground saying, but the race is too long. I'm nowhere near the finish line. How much further do I have to go? I'm I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I've been running for so long. I have no idea where the finish line is. I'm out of motivation. I'm empty. I can't keep doing this anymore. And Paul says, don't think about the whole marathon ahead. Don't, Don't look too far ahead in the journey. Don't try to figure it all out right now. Break it down to this next breath, this next step. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep running with endurance. Let's keep running with perseverance. The word for endurance or perseverance, depending on on your translation, is the word hupomone. And that word, according to commentaries, never means simply to just endure something. Like sitting down and bearing it. This is not a grin and bear it word, okay? This word is the ability to rise up and conquer whatever it is that you're facing. It is victorious endurance. It is overcoming endurance. It is unswerving constancy to faith and to piety in spite of adversity and suffering. 
It is a virtue which doesn't just so much accept the experiences of life and say, well, it is what it is. This virtue conquers. This virtue sees each obstacle as one that it will hurdle. So it's more than just patience. It's more than just waiting. It is facing a trial head on. It is taking the trial and turning it to glory. It is patience which conquers. Hupomone is conquering patience. And that is only something we can do one step at a time. We cannot fight the entire war at once. We cannot fight the entire battle all in one moment. We cannot get to the other side with a snap of our fingers. The only thing that you can do right now is the next right thing. And guys, listen. I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm not saying that that is simple. I'm not saying that that is going to be uh, sunshine and rainbows. Okay, You should not have any expectation that being faithful to God is going to promise you a simple, painless, sunshine and rainbows type of a journey. That is the prosperity gospel and that's not true. You should not expect that faithfulness to God means an easy life. In fact, Paul honestly and truthfully lays it out for us right here in this passage. Look again at verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, he says, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. This is an honest, truthful assessment of how it feels in the midst of a long and wearisome journey. Our hands are drooping. Our knees are weak. Our feet feel lame. Anybody feel that way? Absolutely. We are weak and tired with drooping hands and weak knees and feet that feel like they cannot go on. So what does Paul tell us to do? In the midst of that, what does he say? This is where you ought to go. Verse 14. Verse 14, he says, Strive. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. With our hands drooping, with our knees weak, with our feet lame, Paul tells us to strive. Strive for peace. Strive for holiness. Don't give up. Don't quit. That word strive is determined pursuit, no matter how long it takes. And so, in the midst of feeling weary along this spiritual marathon, Paul in Hebrews sings to us, do the next right thing. One step at a time, one moment at a time, one choice at a time. Point number two, painful steps are for our good. 
painful steps are for our good. I don't think anyone, including the Apostle Paul, would fault us for asking the question, why? Why is God allowing this? Why is this happening to me? Why couldn't it have gone another way? And Paul, as well as Princess Anna, answers this question by showing us how pain grows us. So take a look at verses 5 through 11 once more. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So in this text, the Apostle Paul uses a term that is both jarring and also oddly comforting. And that term is discipline. I say that it is jarring because in the midst of pain, we are jarred by the idea of this being discipline. We go, wait, Discipline? What am I being disciplined for? And on the other side, it can be oddly comforting if we're approaching a situation saying, well, you know, I did do these bad things, so discipline does kind of make sense of the consequences. But what does Paul actually mean when he uses the word discipline? I think it is important that we do not look at this passage one-dimensionally. When we hear the word discipline, we go immediately in our minds to punishment for wrongdoing. Right? Isn't that where we immediately go with the word discipline? Punishment for wrongdoing. We read this and we say, I've done something wrong and God is punishing me. Disciplining me for that sin. And here's the thing. In some cases, that might be true. Sometimes when you go through a difficult period, it's because you put yourself in that situation, okay? If you robbed a bank and now you are enduring jail time, that is discipline for your sin, okay? There, there are consequences for your actions. But that's only one dimension here. That, that's only one possible dimension of this passage. There's another dimension to this that is easy to miss if we are not careful. And it's at the end of verse 11, he says that discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been, here it is, trained by it. Discipline yields fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained 
by it. And this unlocks the passage in what its true meaning is supposed to be. And that is that God is training us. God is teaching us. Specifically, he is training us in discipline. He is teaching us to be disciplined. Now, that is decidedly different than being disciplined for something. Okay? Being for something, you did something bad. This is different than being disciplined for something. This is being disciplined to something. When a person, for example, goes to boot camp, they are trained to be disciplined. When, when a drill sergeant is screaming orders at, at, a, at a potential soldier, it's not necessarily because that cadet has done something bad. It's because that drill sergeant is training that young man or that young woman to be disciplined. So, in this sense, this passage isn't saying God is disciplining you for being bad. God is teaching you discipline in order to live well. And in so doing, in so doing, he is producing fruit in you. Again, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It yields fruit. Discipline yields fruit. And ultimately, that's what we're after, right? Fruit. This whole series is about becoming people who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. We want to be fruitful people. And one of the only ways that we can be fruitful people is if we are disciplined people. So I don't think this passage is primarily talking about God disciplining you for sin. If you look at verse 4, verse 4 sets the context of this discipline taking place in someone who is actively struggling against sin. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, so Paul is addressing people who are committed to resisting sin. Committed to struggling against it. And in that struggle against, in that decision to not give in, Paul says, God disciplines you. So it's not primarily talking about people who are being disciplined for their sin. It is primarily talking about in the fight against sin, that requires discipline. It requires growth. We are not alone in this assumption that bad things happen because we've done bad things. Okay? The disciples also fell into the trap that every bad thing that happens to you is God punishing you for doing something wrong. If you were to turn to John chapter 9, and, and I forgot to put this in the, uh, in the slides. John chapter 9, there's a man who's born blind. Beginning in verse 1, as he passed by, 
he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they see this guy who's blind, and immediately their assumption is, obviously somebody did something bad, and God is punishing him. Did this man sin in some way that he's blind? Did his parents sin in some way? Jesus, you're God. Explain to us what the this then that really was. Who messed up to make this man born blind? And Jesus, much to their surprise, does not give them the answer that they're looking for. Jesus answered that somebody's sin is not what it was about. Verse Three, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. It was that the works of God must or might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. So Jesus, in response to this, looks at the disciples and says, look, it's not about the fact that this man sinned or his parents sinned. The reason that this happened was so that the work of God might be displayed in what I am about to do. And then Jesus heals this man and it leads others to come to know him. So this man has a place in history that's recorded for eternity. His story speaks the gospel for all of eternity. All that happened as a result of him enduring a terrible thing of being born blind. He endured this bad thing because God was using him to show something to the world. God you might say, was disciplining this man, disciplining his family for the opportunity that they might share in the holiness of God. The same is true with us. We will endure discipline. Not necessarily because we've done something bad, but because we are being trained to be disciplined being given opportunity to be disciplined in the pursuit of the Lord. So as much as we don't like to take them, painful steps are for our good. And not just for our good, but also for the good of those who are around us. In Frozen 2, the painful steps that Anna takes in this dark cave become incredibly fruitful for her and later everyone else around her. In fact, the entire kingdom will later bear the fruit of what she does in this cave, these painful steps that she takes. As a result of losing Elsa, Anna is forced to grow out of her codependence on Elsa. She sings about rising for her, okay? She is codependent, this this relationship where where she's relying completely on her sister. Now she's got to grow out of that. And she's got to become the queen without relying on Elsa. All throughout their story, Elsa has been a tremendous source of strength for Anna. And so when Elsa is no longer there, Anna finds herself completely disoriented. She's, She's unmoored. She sings, can there be a day beyond this night? 
I don't know anymore what is true. I can't find my direction. I'm all alone. The only star that guided me was you. How do I rise from the floor when it's not you I'm rising for? But ultimately, even as she battles through that, ultimately she finds that there is an unshakable, an immovable foundation which she can build her life upon instead and that foundation is enough for her. She grows to a deeper place than she ever could have before. In, in this sense, I think about my family and all the things that we've been discussing as a family this week. For our entire lives, prior to that event 10 years ago, my dad was the star that guided us. My dad was the one that we depended on. He was the one that gave us direction. He was the one that gave us wisdom. He was the one that we leaned on. And when he died, my mom could no longer rely on his leadership. None of us could. When dad died, none of us could rely on him to teach us firsthand how to be husbands and fathers. My dad was still alive to do my wedding. And it's one of the the greatest memories of my entire life. One of those things that I look back on with, with such gratitude. And my brothers didn't get to experience that. My dad did my wedding, but when Allison was pregnant with Eli, dad passed. So I had to figure out how to be a dad without my dad. I had to figure out how to be a husband over the last 10 years without my dad. My mom has been with dad her entire life from high school on. They they were together for decades. And all of a sudden, she's got to figure out how to go without this man. For 10 years, we've been without his guidance, his advice, his direction. This north star that we've always had was taken. But in his absence... The Lord has filled that void in every single one of us. We, we talked this week about the ways that God has grown us in the last 10 years. Uh, I've seen my mom become this rock. That not only is she strong for herself, others around her are strong because of her. When God took dad home, God filled that void He used this painful situation to grow us in ways that he couldn't have otherwise. My friends, you may not be able to see what kind of growth the Lord is producing through your painful situation. You probably cannot see right now how in the world there could be day beyond this night. But I promise, he is using it for your good. And on the other side of this, you will accomplish far more than you ever could have without walking through this pain. Finally, point number three. 
the strength for each step comes from a focused gaze. The strength for each step comes from a focused gaze. How is it that we keep moving? When all we want to do is quit, how do we keep going? I reference Princess Anna once more. Anna sings, I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step, the next choice is one that I can make. And here's the key. Right here, here's the key. She sings, So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly toward the light. Toward the light. And do the next right thing. And then she sings. And with the dawn, what comes then? When it's clear that everything will never be the same again? And here's the key. Then I'll make the choice to hear that voice. I will make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. Anna has been unmoored from her previous anchors. Her sister, her boyfriend, and her best friend. So how does she move on? How does she keep going? She does so by keeping her eyes fixed on the light and stepping toward it. By keeping her ears fixed on that voice and listening to its truth. The light and the voice. The light and the voice are what spurs her on toward life. The light and the voice give her the strength to keep walking. Everything else has been taken. Everything else is in turmoil. Everything else is inconsistent and unreliable. But the light and the voice, they are constant. They are steady. When she sang earlier in the movie, some things never change, so I'm holding on tight to you. At that time, she was talking about the people around her. She was talking about the relationships in her life that she thought would never change. And then they did. Now, in this dark cave, she learns that what never changes and what she must hold on tight to is the light and the voice. The light and the voice. And this is exactly what Paul exhorts us to in verses 2 and 3. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He gives us these two commands. Fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him. This is sight and this is thinking about. This is the light 
and the voice. Fix your eyes on him. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus and always be listening to the story. Always look to him and always listen to what he has done and said. Paul says, fix your eyes. This word, fix, is the word aphorao. And literally what it means is to look away from all else. To look away from all else and look steadfastly, intently toward a distant, fixed object. It is to direct one's attention without distraction. Charles Spurgeon, speaking on this word, said this, that this word has a preposition in it that turns the look away from everything else. You are to look from all else to Jesus. Do not fix your gaze on the cloud of witnesses. They will hinder you if you take your eyes from Jesus. Do not look at the weights and the besetting sin. These you have laid aside. Look away from them. Do not even look at the race course or the competitors, but look to Jesus and so start the race. At some point in history, people realized that horses would be far more effective as racers or as stagecoach drivers if there was some way to keep them from being distracted by the many things around them. During a race, a horse could become focused on the crowd or could become focused on the other horses around them and get scared. Or on a city street, a horse, as it's pulling a a buggy, could be distracted or frightened by the other buggies around them or by the crowded people uh, milling around on the sidewalks. So at some point, someone had the genius idea of placing blinders on the horse's face. And these blinders would block out the peripheral vision of the horse. And what that served to do was it served to keep the attention of the horse only forward. These blinders make sure that the horse keeps their attention on what they're supposed to be focused on and nothing else. And doing so helps them to run faster. It helps them to drive straighter. It helps them to stay calm. And so what Paul tells us to do is to put on blinders, effectively blocking out everything but Jesus. Because in the midst of every dark situation, there will be plenty of things that the enemy tries to get you to focus on instead. Uh, But but the questions, uh, but, but the doubts, like we talked about last week, but the shortcuts. Hey, here's a shortcut. Here's a way to get out. Hey, hey don't, look over, don't look over there towards the light. Don't listen to the voice. Let me tell you, here's a quick way to get out of this. Satan will try to make sure that our attention is on our own heart. Look within yourself. What does your heart tell you? What does your mind tell you? What is your truth? Satan wants to make sure that our eyes are focused on all these other things. And Paul says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Only look towards the light. Only listen to the voice. My friends, I don't know what your dark cave looks like. Whatever it is, 
I know that your pain has a gravity that pulls you down. But I urge you, I urge you to fix your eyes on the light and your ears on the voice. Because the light and the voice are what will carry you through. The light and the voice will bring you to the dawn. The light and the voice will take you one step at a time. One choice at a time. And then one more. And then one more. And then one more. Not a whole journey all at once. Not a whole path all at the same time. One painful choice at a time. Without shortcuts. Without numbing ourselves with whatever kind of distraction. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And we stumble toward the light. I urge you, make the choice to hear that voice. And do the next right thing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this encouragement from your word and Disney. (laughs) Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Here in this auditorium, watching on the live stream, listening to the podcast, God, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us in the midst of whatever our dark cave might be. And Lord, there are, there are 